third annual Apopka International Jazz Fest, starring Pebo Bryson with host Kim Waters, along with Kayla Waters and Ken Ford, Saturday, March 25th at the Apopka Amphitheater. For complete details and tickets, log on to ApopkaInternationalJazzFest.com. Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this episode, we will be joined by ESPN college football analyst Rini Angolia. We'll do a post-mortem on the college football season, as well as get his take on yesterday's AFC and NFC championship games in the NFL. Rini is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. Meanwhile, so I try to avoid talking about drama King James on this show, but I can't help it this week. Oh my goodness. So he gets fouled in the Lakers Celtics game of the chance of the game winning play. Gets fouled on his way to the basket. No call. And he loses his freaking mind. You know, I can imagine initial reaction of, Oh, I can't believe this. You didn't call that foul. But he went on to throw an epic temper tantrum. I mean, come on, dude. You look like a five-year-old getting dragged through the grocery store by your mom. (laughs) I mean, he was like, somebody took all his toys away. I mean, you got to look at it this way, you know. Yes, he was fouled. But how many times has LeBron gotten the call when there hasn't been a foul, right? Probably 10 to 1 ratio, I'd be willing to bet. He's he is exhausting. I've said that many, many, many times. And we're going to pour one out for Billy Packer, the longtime NCAA college basketball analyst for NBC and then CBS called 35 Final Fours and you know, you can look at him as one of the key components of March Madness being what it is today. An amazing sporting event for three weeks in the month of March. And the other thing is, you know, they, he, along with Al McGuire and Dick Enberg, you know, three-person broadcast teams are not very common. And most times they're not really very good. You know, you could look at, as far as the great goes, it's Frank Gifford, Don Meredith, and Howard Cosell. And then you have Dick Emberg, Al McGuire, and Billy Packer. That's the list, as far as three-person booths go. So there, so that is one of the great things. Of course, he called, you know, uh, after he went to uh, uh, CBS... Uh, he, he was the, the main analyst, first with Gary Bender, then with Brent Musburger, then with Jim Nance. And, of course, he did retire in, what was it, 2008? And I couldn't believe it was that long ago. And then you look at the fact, you know, he, you know, he, had, a, he had an opinion, didn't always agree with it, but, you know, he was there and he gave his analysis. He told you what he thought. Now, I thought maybe in later years, you know, he was a little bit rough on the non-Blue Bloods that would crash the Sweet 16 and beyond in these NCAA tournament, i.e. see George Mason, as they made a run to the Final Four. And Billy often talked about how they didn't deserve to be there. 
Now, you know, he was an ACC guy. I remember he did ACC basketball regionally before hitting the national stage and continued to do so while on the national stage. So he's a blue blood kind of guy. So I think sometimes you get a little uh, ruffled around the edges when uh, your non-blue bloods were uh, were crashing the party. But again, you know, you look at the at what March Madness has become. And I thought about this, you know, besides the fact, you know, uh, the Bird Magic game in 79, Michigan State, Indiana State, uh, drew huge numbers. And even on the day that President Reagan was shot, and that seemed to be the springboard of bringing college basketball into a much bigger national stage. And so that broadcast crew helped that along the way. And then... You know, as much as I say it many times, I hate to give the four-letter credit, but ESPN, uh, there are two things they did that helped bring March Madness to where it, where it is today. The first thing was, there didn't used to be any weeknight college basketball nationally broadcast. Again, that was generally on a regional, like Raycom with ACC and SEC basketball and a few others. But as far as nationally, weeknight basketball... College hoops didn't didn't exist before ESPN, and then ESPN decided they were going to carry the early rounds of the NCAA tournament. Most of the time, you did not get NCAA tournament action until the second round, which was the first weekend back when NBC had it, and so they would only do the the tournament live games on the weekends. So ESPN said, "Well, we'll we'll step up and give you that first round." We'll give you that. And so that made it so attractive when you started seeing all these great buzzer beaters and everything that when CBS got the package in, in 80, it was 81 or 82, they went all in to cover the tournament from beginning to end. So, uh, again, the college basketball, uh, you know, wouldn't be what it is today without those factors and Billy Packer certainly was a key part of that. We're back with Rini Angolia next as Jeff Allen Sports Talk continues. Central Florida, it's Pebo Bryson. Baby, can you stop the rain? Double Grammy and double Oscar award winner, Pebo Bryson, performing live at the third annual Apopka International Jazz Festival, Saturday, March 25th, at the beautiful Apopka Amphitheater, hosted by world-renowned saxophonist Kim Water, along with urban keyboardist Kayla Water and jazz violinist King of String, Ken Ford. Pebo Bryson, live. For complete details, log on to ApopkaInternationalJazzFest.com. My pleasure to welcome back to the show once again, ESPN College Football Analyst Rini Angolia. Rini, always great to have you here. It's all a pleasure to be here, Jeff. Well, first, uh, let's uh, delve in. We're going to do a little recap of the college football season. And, of course, it culminated with another national championship for the Georgia Bulldogs. They had a uh, tough fight on their hands in the semifinal with Ohio State, but then uh, they certainly... uh, answered the bell, winning the national championship. So give me your uh, take on yet another title season for the dogs. Yeah, just, you know, loaded once again, you know, uh, Stetson Bennett, although he's had a few problems off the field here recently, um, you know, as a quarterback and what he did at Georgia, I, I just don't think he gets the credit he deserves. I mean, uh, you know, everyone kind of looked down on the guy. I mean, he was there. 
He leaves. He goes to junior college. He comes back. And he just got it done. And and he made a lot of good throws too. I mean, I he's the type of kid that you just. He's the mailman, right? So I would not bet against him making an NFL team, especially after what we saw Brock Purdy do this year, right? Mr. Irrelevant, third-string quarterback. Look what he did uh, with the Niners. Unfortunately, you know, he got hurt uh, yesterday, ended his season, you know, the way it did. But, yeah, I, I you know, just your general question, though, uh, Georgia was loaded. They're going to be loaded once again. Um, we're going to see the, the, the usuals next year again. You're going to see Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio States are all going to be loaded again. You know, the one, the one uh, you know, monkey wrench that's been thrown into everything really is the transfer portal, right? And, you know, the fact that TCU – and I, I had TCU earlier in the year. I think I had them game three of their season. And if I was going to tell you back then that, you know, they were going to make it to, to the national championship game, I'd be lying. I knew they were – a good team, much better than they were, uh, you know, with Sonny Dykes there. Uh, but with Max Duggan did and, and that team did, I, I think it kind of inspires a lot of programs out there saying, listen, we can make a drastic jump like that in one year. So uh, that's the cool thing about college football. I think the regulars are going to be there, Jeff. But I think each and every year now we can look for someone to kind of pop out of nowhere. Yeah, and of course, you know, the final four was, you know, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State. We mentioned that semifinal game, which Ohio State almost pulled off the upset. And, of course, you know, a missed kick at the stroke of midnight. (laughs) It's just unbelievable. (laughs) It was wild, you know. So we have two great, great, and it was almost too good to be true because we had two phenomenal uh, semifinal games. As you said, that game ends the stroke of midnight. And then we get a big, you know, an egg laid for the championship. So I guess we can't have it all. One of these years, you know, we're going to have two great semifinals and a great championship. And then even beyond that, once we go to the 12 teams, I just think it's going to be so much more uh, exciting. Um, yeah, will we have some blowouts? Of course we will. But I think all in all, the two teams that make it to the championship that go through that playoff, um, it's going to be very deserving. And I think it's going to make the regular season, obviously the conference championships that much more important. So I'm excited for it. I can't wait for the 12 team playoffs. Yeah, that is definitely going to be uh, something that a lot of fans have clamored for. And uh, a lot of, universities have clamored for because you know they want to seat at the table and of course you look at you know O'Tulane with their great come from behind win in the Cotton Bowl you know in in a playoff situation they would advance to the next weekend yeah I mean and so you know if you're Mike Oresco in the American obviously you know it was it was a bittersweet but it's kind of a win-win I mean America the American loses UCF Cincinnati and Houston and, and listen and I will say this too because obviously I'm here in Orlando so I see all the, the rhetoric. I see, you know, all the Twitter from the UCF fans. And sometimes it kind of, you know, and I just kind of sit back as an analyst that kind of bring takes it all in because I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not rooting for a team. You know, I, I played at the University of Massachusetts. That's that's my, you know, that's who I root for. They got a ways to go. So uh, we'll put that on the back burner. But, you know, sometimes I see UCF fans kind of, you know, dissing the American, just kind of, you know, trying to step on them now that they've moved to the Big 12. Listen, uh, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, they don't make that move to the Big 12 without the American, right? And then the American obviously um, got a lot out of those schools. So really, it was good for for all of them, and, and they'll, they'll move apart now. But if you're Mike Oresco, I mean, he would never say this, but, man, how happy is that commissioner knowing the, the last year in of those three schools – the team that wins it is a team that's staying in Tulane, like you said, Jeff. 
and they go on and win the, their New Year's Six Bowl game uh, against a great USC team. So the Americans pretty happy um, that that uh, they would never say this, I don't think, publicly, but that Tulane ended up winning it. Oh, you, yeah, you have to know they're they're smiling ear to ear on that for sure. And and like you said, I do agree with you totally because you know because one of the things like. You know, I'll, as a Knights fan, I'll always root for the teams in the American because I don't want to forget where we came from. Because sure. without the American, UCF does not get to that next level. Absolutely, 100% true. And, 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 and the American doesn't get the exposure they get without UCF. So it was a win-win for everyone. There's no doubt about it. So, you know, and I, I end up calling a lot of American games for ESPN. So uh, I'm uh, the cool thing for me is now with these six new schools coming in, a lot of new places to go to, and that, that that always intrigues me. I love seeing new campuses, you know, new fan bases. So uh, I'm actually excited for next year. Yeah, and I imagine uh, UTSA would probably be you know one of those uh, schools you'll you'll be interested in watching because you know it was kind of cool. We you know, they were here in, in Orlando and they trained out at UCF, and like UCF is yeah. their model, you know. <laughs> well, and that's a, that's a team, Jeff, a program that's going to step in and compete right away in the American. There, there's no doubt about it. And if you look at it. You kind of feel bad for Conference USA. Both teams that were in their championship game last year, uh, UTSA and North Texas, are both now in the American. So if you're an American fan, you feel pretty happy about that. But UTSA is going to step in and compete right away. And, you know, people say, oh, I've never heard of them. Well, the reason you never heard of them is because they were in Conference USA and they didn't have a TV package. So unless they were an away team, you know, playing someone that, that, you know, was on ESPN, you really didn't see them. But now you're going to see UTSA, their quarterback, Frank Martin. They got him to come back for a, for a seventh year. Um, so they're going to be a household name after next year, no doubt about it. Now, I got to call a game in the Alamo Bowl, but that, that was when um, the six weeks of the uh, uh, Randall Apollos was around when I was doing radio for them. So I've actually been to that stadium. So hopefully – I can go back uh, for college now. Oh, that would be awesome. So, um, you know, and, and to kind of circle back on a Mike Oresco, you know, you, you look at all the challenges he's faced as a commissioner of that conference. When the Big East broke up, he had to reassemble it from, from the bottom up. You know, he, he got them very good TV contracts. He got them to, okay, you think about, and again, I hate the Power 5 designation, but he got them right on the on the doorstep of being the top group of five conference. So you look at all these things that he has done and he's had to do a lot of this, you know, on the fly with unexpected measures coming his way. Yeah, no doubt. And he hates, he hates the group of five power five moniker as well. Cause it's, it's arbitrary. It's not an official uh, designation. It's just something that they started using, but how prophetic was he, right? Cause he pushed the P six, right? The power six and people laughed at him. They kind of laughed at the conference. Oh, look at the yard mark and say P6, P6. Lo and behold, it really is a power six now because when the new playoffs roll around, the top six conference champions are automatically in. So for all intents and purposes, his branding, that conference's branding was right on the money because ultimately top six conferences are going to get in and then we'll have the at-larges. But, he, you know, and I have a really good, full disclosure, I have a really good relationship with Mike Oresco. You know, I do, uh, you know, besides working for ESPN, the American hires me to do their uh, media days and I'll do their bowl specials. So I have a good relationship with that conference and I think they've done a tremendous job. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so do you have a favorite storyline or a favorite game from this past season that uh, springs quickly to mind? Yeah, well, so I'm old. So really the, the, the most recent is what sticks in my head, but in all honesty, so I've been with ESPN Jeff 
13 years. I mean, I started uh, 2010 ESPN three, it was ESPN 360. Then I went to ESPN three. And then of course now it's ESPN plus and it's much different. Um, and just kind of worked my way up. And in 13 years, I've never called a game in Orlando other than UCS. So let me back that up. I've never called a bowl game in Orlando. Okay. And as we know, there's three bowl games in Orlando every year. So finally this year, what happens is uh, kind of inside baseball uh, for people. So when we get our um, our schedules for bowl season, so a couple weeks come, a couple weeks before the season ends, we usually get a mass email, and it's like, okay, folks, we're starting to you know put together the bowl schedules. You know, is anyone traveling for the holidays? Are anyone going to be in a specific city, or is there any days that people can't work? Because you know, obviously, some people don't want to work over Christmas, and so you would tell them, hey, you know, I'm, I'm out, and so they put their bowl schedule. Out. So they do it usually. Half the game, you know, the first half and then the second half. Well, no secret, the second half is the better bowl game. So, you know, I, I had a really busy schedule, a nice schedule. You know, they gave me my first half of games. And uh, then lo and behold, I, the email, actually someone started texting me um, about the Cheez-It Bowl. And I said, oh, I better check my email. And so they gave me uh, the Cheez-It Bowl, Florida State and Oklahoma, a great matchup uh, for ESPN National Radio. And and I started in the business doing radio, so I love radio. Um and so I was really excited. So that was just a fun game to do. Um, being in Orlando, it was essentially a sold-out crowd, one of the best you know, non-New Year's Six bowl games in terms of crowd and just the weather was great and two blue bloods. And then to see Florida State get their 10th win um, was great. You know, I have a good relationship with Mike Norvell as well because I did a ton of his games when he was at Memphis. Um, so, yeah, that one just – one because it was the last game I did of the year, but it was just a fun game and a, and a you know great time calling a game um, at Camping World Stadium. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, yeah, so yeah, you did uh, radio and TV uh, during during the course of the bowl season. Well, and and really the Wednesday night, the the, the weird Wednesday night game was it Wednesday or Tuesday? Uh, the UCF SMU game because of the hurricane that sticks. You know that that comes to mind as well because. That, that was a funny story because I was in, where the heck was I that week? I think, oh, I was in, I was in Dallas. I was doing TCU SMU. I get home Sunday and I knew the hurricane was coming, right? And I think kind of we all did in Central Florida and we've been through them a ton. But I had, I shot an email off to my bosses that Sunday afternoon. I said, Hey, just FYI for next week. Looks like there's a hurricane, you know, it has uh, possibly impacting right through central Florida. I'm going to, and so my next game up was Temple Memphis. So I, and it was at Memphis. So I said, Hey, I'm going to fly. And normally we fly out on Thursdays, Thursday night, because we have production meetings with teams on Friday. COVID changed it up a little bit. We still do some Zooms, but I prefer meeting with teams in person. So I just kind of called my boss and said, Hey, I'm probably going to fly out on a Wednesday ahead of time. So if you see the travel, that's why I'm traveling early, trying to get ahead of this hurricane. And they go, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, no problem. Well, then, as you know, Mon- Sunday goes through Sunday and Monday, and it, it starts, you know, barreling down. Um, I, I was all set. I changed my flight a couple times, but I was going to make it out right before Orlando International Airport closed. And then all of a sudden, right before I fly out, my bosses call and they say, hey, um, you're not going, stay there in Orlando. Uh, you're going to call the UCF SMU game. And then, you know, they had to switch a bunch of uh, broadcasters around. And then at that time, we thought that game was going to be on Sunday. But ultimately, it moved, I 
It could have been Tuesday night. I don't even know. Tuesday or Wednesday night. So yeah. that was a cool game to call as well. And um, and that, that was a game really, um, if you're a UCF fan, if you remember, uh, the first half of that game, John Rice Plumley was a little off, but he was really probably from the second quarter on, he was phenomenal in that game, uh, especially in the second half. And if he plays quarterback in terms of throwing the football, just a, an 80% of what he did in the second half of that SMU game, He's outstanding. It's just the consistency of him throwing the ball, uh, I think, is is where he lacked. Because he can make the throws. He just wasn't consistent. Of course, we know what kind of dynamic athlete he is. But, so that was a fun game, uh, and I called that with Tiffany Green. And I've known Tiffany for a long time, but we've never actually called a game together. So that one was a that one sticks out as well, too. Yeah. Of course, you, since you brought up uh, John Rice Plumley. Uh, kind of give me a quick assessment of the night season. And then what is your take on him playing baseball? You know, I mean, he's a two-sport yeah. athlete. He's a, he's a phenomenal talent, but should he be the number one guy going into camp? Well, I mean, listen, mo- the more reps you get in spring ball, especially if you were a quarterback that might have had some accuracy problems. Now, listen, they, I've been in a, a few production meetings with them. And so, you know, they, they dispute that, right? And obviously, and, and I get it why you would dispute that because we've seen John Rice formally make all the throws. It's not that he can't make the throws. He can. Again, I, I think it's a consistency issue. Now, spring ball and reps, does that help? Of course it does. It helps in every position. The more reps you get in anything you do will help you. But he's a baseball player. I, I understand that. I've heard people say, well, because of baseball – you know, I think maybe it, it, it messes with his release. I don't, I don't buy that. I, I don't think that because there's, there's been a ton of other. I mean, John Elway was a great baseball player. There's other quarterbacks that played baseball. So I don't, I don't think it's a mechanical issue. I just think for whatever reason, there, there, there's a consistency issue there where he just, you know, sometimes, you know, he'll hit the open receiver, but instead of hitting him in stride where he's going to walk in and score a touchdown, maybe the receiver has to slow up, right? So he makes the catch, but he gets tackled. So I think we've seen issues like that, and I think reps will help that. There's no doubt about it. So, you know, now it depends on what Gus does. You know, I kind of like it when coaches say, hey, you know, we're going to come back in fall camp, and, yes, you were the starter, but it's an open competition. I I think it should always be open competition. And for that matter, every position. I I just think it's better you know, as a former player, when I went into camp, I don't care if I was an All-American the year before. I practiced and played like my job was on the line. Because at the end of the day, and they always are, right? I mean, look at, you know, we'll circle back a little bit. TCU, Chandler Morris won that starting job. He gets hurt against Colorado in game one. Max Duggan, I mean, give him a lot of credit, right? Because in today's age, right, if you're especially the quarterback position, you lose a starting job coming out of camp, some of those guys are in the transfer portal right away. They're like, no, I'm not going to be the backup. He sticks with it. Now, it happened quick because, you know, Chandler Morris gets hurt in one game and Duncan gets in there. But look what he does. He leads his team to a national championship game. Um, Heisman Trophy finalist. It's going to get drafted. He made himself a ton of money. So there's something to competition and fighting it out. So to answer your, your question, I, yeah, I would hope that Gus would say, hey, open competition all the way, you know. Yeah, and of course, you know, we've talked about the impacts of the transfer portal NIL and all, the, all that good stuff. And now that has less Gus Malzahn to hire an offensive coordinator move I'm certainly uh, endorsing uh, with Darren Henshaw, former Knights, great quarterback. Uh, yeah. So so now we see this how this impacts coaches who may have been wearing 
two hats on the football side of the thing, but now have three other hats they have to wear off the field. It's hard. I mean, there's so much. I mean, you know, Dan Mullen did it in Florida, and we saw how much more he had to deal with. And so it, it's and – and, and when I talk to coaches, and a lot of them, you know, Mike Norvell calls the plays at Florida State. So there's still a bunch of them out there to do it. But when you get to these programs and they're the bigger programs, and, and, and now UCF's a big program. They're in the Big 12. So much more stuff to juggle, as you just talked about. And so, and, and I think, as far as I know, like Gus is relinquishing the play calling, right? Because that has always been an issue that he's dealt with. So I know um, through talking to people. So he, he's, he's tight with Rhett Lashley. And for those that, that are watching this pod that don't know, Rhett Lashley played quarterback for Gus Malzahn when Gus Malzahn coached in high school. So that's worth, that's how close they are. And then Rhett was always a coach under Gus. And then there was a time at Auburn where Gus was going to relinquish, relinquish the play calling to Rhett. And then Gus decided, no, I still want to call the plays. And that's kind of what forced Rhett Lassie to move on, on his own and kind of break away. So it can be hard. The point I'm bringing up, it's kind of hard for coaches that have done it for so long. Um, to, to kind of give up that control. But ultimately, I think when they do, it's better off for him. But now someone like us, too, in the conversations we've had, he's, he's, he's said, he goes, I'm on the back nine of my coaching career. And he goes, I don't know if it's the 16th hole or 17th hole, but he has said, point blank, he wants to end his career at UCF. So I think he's probably at a point in his career where he can do that, you know, and, and I think – Overall, I think it'll it'll help him in the in the bigger picture. So I'm looking forward to that out of UCF next year. Yeah, and of course, you know, sometimes you know, I, I like to say coaches can be a little stubborn, <laughs> and they, <laughs> they, they they like to, they like things a certain way, and it's hard for them to change sometimes. They don't, well, you're right; they don't like change, right? And we all know, all of us in, in any in our everyday life, change can be tough sometimes, but change can also be good, right? So. You know, we have a saying in broadcasting, we, we talk about at ESPN and uh, uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? So, you know, you're going to put yourself in the situations that you're just not comfortable in, right? For me, it might be, you know, I'm not a sideline guy, but I've been told, hey, can you run out of the booth and go grab an interview? That's an uncomfortable thing for me, but get comfortable doing things you're not comfortable with. So for someone like us, Malzahn, it's probably coaching the game, not calling plays, right? But yeah, it should, it should be really uh, fun to watch next year. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk a little NFL. So we had uh, some sure. championship football yesterday. And the NFC, the Eagles and the 49ers. And, of course, we t- you talked about uh, Brock Purdy earlier. Unfortunately got hurt. And then, you know, they, they were – you know, Johnson got hurt coming in as well, so Purdy had to go back in. Didn't have any ability to throw the ball, so they were pretty much you know sunk in the water at that point. Uh, yeah, it's it's such a quarterback driven league. I mean, the game in and of itself. Let's not kid ourselves. Even at the college level, the, the quarterback's at the most important position. So you got to have a quarterback. Right now, college is a little different because you can manipulate some stuff and you can change some stuff up. And if you have a really dominating defense, you know you you can change the pace of the game really hard in the NFL. You better have an elite quarterback. Um, and so, you know, when you lose Purdy, you're in trouble. And then, you know, on the other side, you know, the defenses were getting after it. But, you know, when you lose a quarterback in, in an NFL game and you're way down the line already, it's really hard to overcome. And then obviously I know, uh, you know, because I'm on social media, everyone was in an uproar over the officiating, but I'm kind of like, well, what's new? We've kind of always <laughs> seen this in the NFL. Um, you know, I guess maybe people think it's worse now. I mean, 
I don't know. Uh, I, I've kind of always seen the officiating that way. So, yeah, you know, I, th- I to me, I think replay is what has made officiating an even tougher job now. Well, and the thing that aggravates me about the NFL is, and they always want to be different. It's like, okay, because we all know um, the one catch was dropped, right, early in the game, in the Philadelphia game. And, you know, Fox, for whatever reason, did not show that reverse angle. So if if you're a San Francisco coach in a box, you can, in good conscience, you know, tell your head coach, hey, um, throw the challenge flag because he dropped the ball because you don't know, right? So if they miss it on the field and you don't get the angle, now everyone wants to, to go after uh, the head coach and say, well, he, he he screwed up. He didn't throw the flag, but he doesn't have the knowledge. So my, my thing is, why are we even why are we even doing the challenges? Why don't we do it the way the college system does it? If it's erroneous, if it's egregious and it's missed, just stop the game and correct it. I mean, to me, it's not that hard. I mean, granted, college has issues with it too, but – it, it can be done better. That's just my opinion. Uh, so I think that's one of the frustrations, I think, uh, with people in the officiating and, and replay. Yeah. And, of course, uh, I wanted to ask you, being being a guy who, who who played on the gridiron, so wanted to get your take on Brock Purdy. So, you know, what he came in and did as the third-string quarterback. So how much of that is Brock Purdy? How much of that is Kyle Shanahan and Kyle his Shanahan, system, yeah. and how much of that is just the enormous talent around him? Is it equal, or yeah, I do. I think it's a combination of it all. But I will say this: you know, Brock Purdy, if we remember, um, outstanding career at Iowa State early on, right? I think he, I think he kind of struggled last year. Listen, pressure, pressure does unbelievable things to, to to humans, right? To all of us, we all feel pressure in our lives, whatever it is. And you may act a certain way. So now when you're an athlete, right, and you got all these eyes on you and you got all these expectations, sometimes things just don't go right. I think he had a lot of pressure at Iowa State um, at, at the end of his career. And I think that's why ultimately he dropped. He gets drafted last in the draft. But guess what? He got a shot. He gets there, and he's just kind of sitting back. And then when you get inserted as a th- third-string quarterback, to me, I just think it's house money, right? You don't have that pressure because guess what? There's no expectations, right? He had no expectation. Not like when when Trey Lance gets was in there, right? I mean, first round pick. He's out of North Dakota State. I mean, it's all kinds of pressure. This franchise is paying you all this money to be a quote unquote franchise quarterback. That's pressure. Brock Purdy gets in there a couple injuries later, and it's like, okay, house money. I got no expectations. And what does he do? He overachieves, right? Because he has the ability. He has a good coach in Kyle Shanahan, and he's got a lot of talent around him. So. It was it was a perfect throw. That's why it was. It stinks that he, he hurt his elbow early yesterday because you would have liked to seen him healthy in that game. I'm not saying they would have won, but no doubt it would have been a better game. It was, it's unquestionable; it would have been a closer game. Yeah, and of course the Eagles uh, move on to the play in the Super Bowl, and you know Jalen Hurts. You know this is a you know guy that uh, lost his job in the middle of a national championship game, no less. Yeah, and you know ultimately it, transferred, and you and just just kept building his career. You want to talk about mental toughness, right? We kind of talked about the transfer portal and everything. Now he ultimately transferred, but he didn't he didn't throw a hissy fit, you know, right away. And then you know he he you know I'm sure he I know he had a good relationship with Nick Saban, and he, he found a home in, in Oklahoma, but. Mentally tough because the reason I say mentally tough, when he got pulled out of that game the way he did, he was still celebrating with his teammates. He was still there for Tua, right? So that just shows you his inside. And that's the type of person you want leading your team as a quarterback. 
And I just talked about pressure, right? He gets to Philadelphia, you know, the kid heard probably hundreds of times, oh, he'll never be an NFL quarterback. He doesn't have the arm, this, that, and the other. He heard it all. Again, hey, no pressure. I'm just going to go play. I'm going to be me. And that's what Jalen Hurts did. And, and, oh, by the way, he throws the ball pretty damn well, right? Yeah. And uh, and so I'm happy for the kid. Unbelievable uh, that he's in the Super Bowl. So good for him. Yep, absolutely. So in the AFC, uh, pretty uh Epic clash between the Bengals and the Chiefs. Uh, you know, I don't think you could have expected anything less uh, in that contest. And the uh, uh, the Chiefs ultimately prevailed. Of course, there's the call on the sideline with with, with Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to put you in Tony Romo's chair in the in the exact moment it happens. What is your take at first blush? Well, I'm talking about the late hit, right? Yes. Yeah, was. Well, I mean, listen. And, I, and that poor kid's getting beat up. He's 22 years old. Like, he, was it a bad penalty? Yeah. I mean, did he mean to do it? I mean, he didn't. He meant to push him, but he didn't mean to get a 15 yard penalty. Again, we have to, you know. And, and I played, so I, I kind of get it. But even if you didn't play, you should still be able to understand it. You just got to step back and say the kid's just trying his hardest. He didn't mean to do it, but he did it, right? And it gives them the it gives them the yardage, and it's uh, and, they, and they ultimately make the field goal, and, and they lose the game. And and I've seen this on social media, and, and this is cliche, but it's true. Uh, not one game loses a, loses it. Not one play loses a game. Now, did that particular one play move them forward and let them kick the field goal? Yes, but you know, people have brought it up. You know, special teams didn't do their job. They let them get a really nice punt return. Um, you know, I, it, we can go back to the officiating on that same call where they called the personal foul late hit out of bounds. It looked like there was holding on the left tackle for Kansas City that wasn't called. So you can you so it would have offset those penalties. You can find a lot of issues throughout the game. Um, you know, and, and you feel you feel horrible for the kid. Um, but it was the right that was the right call. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I thought you know. You would have liked Cincinnati to try to put more pressure on Mahomes with that, that sore ankle. Um, not that they weren't trying, uh, because I think they were. And it, but it, you know, it was it was it was a good game. Um, came down to the end, and uh, you know, I was sitting there thinking, okay, we're going to overtime, and then that penalty comes, and that's it. Yeah. So, of course, you mentioned Mahomes with the ankle. Did you ever have a high ankle sprain as a player? I did. So, I mean, I just did an interview the other day when we were talking about uh, injuries. It just, and I, and I don't, I'm not that, I don't want to be that guy that I, you know, I walked to school three miles uphill and then when I came home, I walked up three miles. But, you know, in high school, I played in the late 80s and then early mid 90s in college. It was just, it was, it was just a different time. Um, we just, uh, you, you can play hurt. You can't play injured. And the difference is hurt when you play hurt, it, it hurts like hell. It hurts, but you're not going to permanently injure yourself beyond, you know, that pain. And so you always played hurt. You know, sometimes people today are just like, listen, I'm, I'm not playing. So yeah, I always, uh, whether it was a knee, it was an ankle. If I could go, you taped it up and you went. Um, so a little different world. Now I told this to someone too. I said, but if, but if you're going to do that, and you might be 80% or 75% of what you are, is there guys coming off the bench that are better than you? Because if they are, you have to understand that too, and your coaches need to understand that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that was just something you just played hurt. Now get it. Now today, I mean, not only, you know, NFL is a different animal because of contracts, but now in college with this NIL money, 
uh, you just don't, people's motives are much different than they were. Uh, I mean, it sounds crazy, but nearly 30 years ago when I played. So, yeah, I guess, you know, 75% of Patrick Mahomes is still a top five quarterback. <laughs> well, I mean, in that, yeah, especially in that position, right? I mean, you, you have to, and that's, that's a perfect example too. what I just said. So I, I'm, you know, the doctors looked at it and they said, okay, you know, it's, it's going to be as painful as hell. Um, but there's nothing that can happen to that ankle. That's going to make it any worse. Right. I mean, they're playing on it. And so they make the decision. Yeah, you're playing on it. And, uh, you know, although he wasn't as mobile as he normally was, he made that one run at the end, right, which forced the penalty and made some nice throws. So, yes, uh, at 80% of Patrick Mahomes is better than 100% of a lot of quarterbacks. Yeah, for sure. So who do you who do you think wins the Super Bowl? Boy, this is uh, – yeah, this one's an interesting one. I don't know. I, I, I kind of like Philadelphia. I just do. I don't know why. I think, you know, I think when we get to the Super Bowls, it should be close. I think the point spread came out today. I want to say they say – Kansas City's minus two, if I read that correctly. Sounds about right. Um, but, but I like Phil. I just like Philadelphia. I do. Um, just kind of like their grit. I like Jalen Hurts, what we just talked about. So, uh, yeah, hopefully. But, but really, though, I just want an, I just want a good game. I think that's what we all want, right? You know, I'm not a, I'm not a gambler. I'll do the occasional uh, the squares, the boxes if someone does them. Um, but, yeah, that's just – dumb luck on score yeah um but so i just want a good game you know no we all that's for sure and uh so uh i think last time you were on the show i don't know if it was right around that time either before or after so you know you were in law enforcement but i understand you've been reeled back in so i so you're the first one so this is kind of breaking news for you so i was reeled back in now i'm reeled back out so <laughs> i came i came back in to work cold cases cold case homicide so i did it for about six months and it just it just wasn't aligning with everything um this time around so i stepped back away <laughs> so now i have a lot of free time um yeah so it was it's great six months going back but sometimes it's funny when you're gone for a couple of years and you kind of come back into a profession a little bit different than where you were. It just doesn't align exactly with everything. And it just didn't, it didn't mesh with where I was in my life right now. Um, so we worked on a couple of cases that are still kind of pending that you never know if DNA comes the right way. Maybe I, I helped get one solved, but uh, yeah. So I've now stepped back away. Jeff. So I can, I can confidently say uh, my law enforcement career is officially retired, retired. Okay. For good. I'm a, I'm a full-time broadcaster with ESPN. <laughs> You're not going to pull a Brett Favre there. Then. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But yeah, you never know if a contract comes out. No, no, I, I think I'm pretty good. Awesome. Well, Reedy, as always, man, I, I appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you assume, to, you know, football will be off for a little while, but I'm sure you'll be chomping at the bit. I bet you can't wait for a season to start already, right? Spring game. So I already talked to my bosses. So I know we'll have a spring game, one or two. So I always get excited for the spring games just to kind of, get back out there, wet the whistle a little bit. And then that, that kind of holds you over before August rolls around. Outstanding. Well, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks again. You got it, Jeff. Thank you. And now let's close things out with a TV theme.
right, friends, that was the theme from the newly rebooted and 80s, 90s classic Night Courts, which, again, has been resurfaced on NBC. I'll talk about the uh, uh, the reboot momentarily. We have played this theme before, but uh, since Night Court is back, uh, we'll talk about the original one first. Um, ran from 84 to 92 on NBC. Uh, Harry Anderson playing Judge Harold T. Stone, who was a young judge who dealt with the wackiness of Night Court and the various uh, uh, people who were brought up with charges. Uh, and of course, I think, you know, the biggest part, you know, uh, of that show as well, and the, and the great foil and the great uh, comedic genius John Larroquette as Dan Fielding, the prosecutor. Um, public defenders around were uh, uh, Paula Kelly in season one, Ellen Foley in season two, and then Marky Post through the rest of the run uh, was uh, absolutely dynamic for that show. And, of course, a love interest for Harry Stone. And then, of course, you had Richard Moles Bull, Selma Diamond as Selma Hacker in the first two seasons, Flores Halep as Flor- Florence Flo Kleiner. Uh one of the bailiffs in season three and then Marshall Warfield uh, ran the rest of the ways seasons four through nine. And of course, Charles Robinson played Mac Vietnam war veteran. He, he was on season two through nine. Karen Austin was the original uh, uh, court clerk and original romantic interest for Harry Stone. So there you have it. Now, of course it has been rebooted. And of course it's judge Harry Stone's daughter who is now in charge of things as she uh, uh, takes over night courts. Um, and, of course, Melissa Roush of Big Bang Theory fame played Bernadette with her squeaky voice. And uh, it's been interesting. I've watched the first two episodes. She plays Abby Stone. Uh, John Larroquette is back as Dan Fielding, who she coaxes back in to the world of Night Court into being a defender. How about that? So uh, uh, you have that uh, uh, star power there. And again, I thought the first two episodes were were good. Maybe not, you know, hard belly to laugh funny, but certainly some good uh, comedic chops in there uh, as it uh, redoes the, the whole new thing. So... We'll give it a chance. I'll write it a little bit longer. And again, I think, I mean, getting John Larroquette, you know, who's really, uh, unfortunately, the only surviving star member of the cast. I think, you know, I think uh, uh, Marshall Warfield's still alive and whatnot. But, uh, you know, uh, Harry Anderson passed, Marky Post and Charles Robinson both uh, passed away during the during COVID in 2021. And uh yeah, Night Court. It's back, and of course, uh, I do, I do uh, f- have a fondness for Melissa Roush, and I hope this uh, uh, works out. She is one of the driving forces behind making this reboot happen, not just to be the star of the show. Night Court, our theme for this week, and with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. 
Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net. Central Florida, it's Peebo Bryson. I'm so into you, Double Grammy and double Oscar award winner, Evo Bryson, performing live at the third annual Apopka International Jazz Festival, Saturday, March 25th, at the beautiful Apopka Amphitheater, hosted by world-renowned saxophonist Kim Waters, along with urban keyboardist Kayla Waters, and jazz violinist, the king of string, Ken Ford. It's an evening under the stars, where you'll enjoy incredible music, delicious food and drinks, along with music lovers such as yourself. It's Evo Bryson Live. Me and the girls will be right there. Saturday, March 25th at the third annual Apopka International Jazz Festival. Gates open at 4 p.m. For complete details and tickets, visit ApopkaInternationalJazzFest.com. Sponsored in part by United Arts of Central Florida, Orlando Health, Florida Blue, and Tito's Handcrafted Vodka. Get your tickets now.